0: Hey there, I'm Kyra Jensen-McKinnon. This is The Weekend Read. Every month on the show, we feature the best long-form journalism in Australia, read to you by the people who wrote it. Today on the show, author Kate Kennedy with her piece from the latest edition of The Monthly. Beginning in the first months of lockdown, it asks the question, why did so many people turn to collective song and music while stuck in isolation? Choirs conducted over video chat and jam sessions in the digital world might not be a perfect replacement for the connection of performing together in a room, but it seemed like there was something essential in the act of coming together to create music. So what is it about song that can pull us out of isolation? Kate will read her story, How Lockdowns Rekindled Our Need to Sing Together, after a short conversation with the editor of the 7am podcast, Scott Mitchell. To hear more Weekend Reads, you can subscribe to The Weekend Read in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi there, Kate. Thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Scott. So, Kate, your piece begins with how so many people around the world from different cultural contexts responded to the early COVID lockdowns by singing and while we're still living in a world with covid you know life has changed so much since those early months of lockdown and i wanted to begin by asking you what drew you to writing about that period
2: you know what did you want to understand about it well it was such an interesting period to sort of observe yourself wasn't it because we were in isolation we were actually at home looking out the window rather than sort of being in in our communal lives we were we were in our own little space, our own little nest in a way, and everything seemed to be something you're looking at through a screen. And so it was this very mediated world. And I I didn't like it, you know. I, I didn't like the sort of pivot to Zoom for meetings. I didn't like not being able to be with people in that sort of embodied way. And it really struck me as how different it was that we were kind of in this physical isolation and yet we were trying so hard to find other ways to feel connected with each other. Um, looking through that little sort of, you know, eight by five screen. And I've just felt myself doing it so hungrily to sort of see what other people were doing and what they were thinking and how they were feeling and just checking in with the world outside my own little small world of, um, of, you know, isolation and trying to keep social distancing.
1: And as you sort of go into in the piece, you know, it seemed like during those lockdowns, so many people found ways to eke out, kind of experiences that were essential to them, and that includes song and music. Why do you think people, when isolated from each other, find song and music
2: so essential? Yeah, that's such a good question because, you know, I'm very interested in in what we think we're going to do in a crisis and what we actually end up doing and observing the way that we that we behave in a way that we didn't think we were going to, and that goes for the things that we think are essential as well. I wouldn't have said, I guess, before COVID isolation, that what I really craved was to uh, be able to watch other people holding their their group lives together in that way as best they could. Uh, and so I was reading about choirs who who couldn't sing together, who had sung together for a very long time, and were sort of missing that terribly, and trying to do the th- you know trying to pivot. Trying to work out a way that they could still sing together, or sometimes worship together, or sometimes just uh, gather in a way that replicated somehow the thing that they now realized all too late that they needed almost for a sense of survival, or not to be in in despair in terms of loneliness, and so I think. What was very interesting was that those things were singing and dancing and feeling inspired and feeling that we weren't all alone, that we're actually kind of somehow all alone together, you know. And so the things that people did, like online choirs and uh, getting together so that lots and lots of different people could contribute to something and join into something, even if it was virtual, I just found it so interesting that we, we immediately went to the things that gave us solace and comfort which were, you know, not so much eight hours of Netflix a day, but actually wanting to uh, wanting to feel at least temporarily that other people could hear us and see us and that we were all in this together in a way, you know.
1: Fantastic. I can't wait to listen to you read your piece. Thank you.
2: Reaching to the choir. Two news stories loomed large for me over the months of the COVID lockdowns, connected by the invisible sticky threads of metaphor. The first was the reportage about the Australian region honey eater, a native bird whose population is teetering on extinction. There are only about 350 region honey eaters left in the wild, and according to scientists, as they dwindle in numbers and lose habitat... They're forgetting the special songs that would help them attract mates, so birds bred in captivity are played recordings of the right mating calls and are then released in the hope that they'll attract females in the terrifyingly small, wild population that remains and keep the species alive. This ongoing story of birds needing concerted human intervention to relearn their songs led me to my second fascination. Stuck at home, seized... I watched clips from around the world proliferate as the months passed of people singing and dancing. The idea seemed to spread like its own contagion via social media, from people singing on balconies in Italy, keeping up the spirits of their neighbours in the early months of 2020, to health workers in PPE singing and doing light-hearted dance routines in hospital emergency rooms everywhere. While it was easy to find weird connections between things during the fog of lockdowns, The news of so many people determined to keep singing, even virtually, if they couldn't take it to their balconies, windows and rooftops, resonated to me with a similar practically biological urgency as the story of the dwindling, captive, songless honey eaters. It came as little surprise to learn that researchers had been looking into this phenomenon. I took a deep dive into what they were observing because, let's face it, what else am I going to do after months of lockdown? I was gratified to find that even Charles Darwin had drawn a similar parallel. Unable to find any obvious adaptive advantage for our fascination with music, he speculated that human courtship songs may work to signal attractive and evolutionary adaptive traits to potential partners. Most of all, it was the choirs that grabbed my attention. Once it was established that people in close physical proximity raising their voices to sing together created a perfect storm of super-spreader COVID transmission, I watched the trajectory of dismayed choirs worldwide over lockdown, pivoting to online singing sessions, hungry to experience the something that was better than the nothing. There were mega-choirs of strangers brought together by this very activity More than a 1,000 health workers in the United Kingdom joined the NHS Chorus 19 online choir, for example, to boost their flagging spirits and connect with others. In Australia, the pub choir phenomenon, begun in 2017 and attracting huge numbers of those who like learning a song at the pub with a beer in their hand, became the couch choir, with coordinator Astrid Jorgensen and a talented band of producers bringing together 6,000 strangers from 45 countries to learn a song and harmonise sweetly together. You can watch them on YouTube, singing David Bowie's Heroes, and feel your own rush of wonder, particularly at the heroism of the video editor who laboriously put together the thousands of individual files. The Couch Choir rendition of All These Things That I've Done by the Killers is posted with the exuberant message we have discovered the antidote to loneliness for those languishing indoors alone. It's hard to re-watch those clips now and not be instantly transported back to feeling viscerally the true unalloyed effects of social isolation over rolling lockdowns, searching for that very antidote. Over time, in Zoom meetings, I felt my energy ebbing, draining like battery power or a tank of fuel. But watching massed couch choir performances, full of people holding their kids or their dogs or dancing round their living rooms and bedrooms, singing for their lives, was like a blast of restorative joy, filling from beneath, like a well. Also, to my surprise, tears. Similar to the ones I cried watching my teenage daughter alone in the lounge room, carefully and studiously replicating dance moves as she watched her dancing teacher via the laptop. What works to help us regulate feelings of loneliness, depression and anxiety? during the stresses of a pandemic, according to researchers and neuroscientists firing themselves with a massive real-world data set to work with during COVID. We found that listening to music, singing and dancing were the top three most effective activities at making people feel better, reported Dr Frederick Kiernan from the University of Melbourne's Creativity and Wellbeing Hallmark Research Initiative. Other researchers analysing what the human brain does to connect and adapt when forced into isolation, reported on the inventive ways we seek the oxytocin release we crave. Online video conferencing, you won't be surprised to learn, doesn't cut it. Singing with someone is different to having a conversation with them. I read on. As virtual choirs spiked in the early days of lockdown, they were studied for evidence of quantifiable amounts of social cohesion and reduced stress they created in participants coached in language such as social capital measures and neurohormonal mechanisms and self-other merging. Scientists measured endorphin levels and increased pain thresholds when people sing, dance and play drums as opposed to just listening to music. They analysed and compared the psychological needs satisfied by both face-to-face and virtual modes, participation numbers and the role of physical presence in the feeling of connectedness. But while these, quote, quasi-synchronous group interactions, unquote, work to fill the gap, the remembered loss of the real thing seems to end up being felt more keenly than ever, particularly by people who'd experienced face-to-face choral singing before the pandemic. Maybe it's worse when you can't quite articulate just what it is you're missing to others who don't get what you're talking about because they've never had it. But for many, taking part in the surrogate virtual experience ultimately came to feel like a rather dispiriting facsimile of what they were really craving. Or, as one of the researching scientists terms it so warmly, the experiences of a virtual choir may, quote, fail to replicate or simulate any aspects of live performance as a spatially, temporally situated act undertaken by embodied beings engaging in an immediate and intimate mode of co-creation, unquote. We are embodied beings, all right. And when we can't mingle sing together and hear each other in real time, the pain experienced as frustration disappointment means we tend to remember and feel its absence more starkly. Like the old song says, it'll have to do until the real thing comes along. But it prods at us, this absence, like a sad remnant of something we fear might be almost extinct, existing only in protected pockets here and there, out on the margins where a scrap of habitat might survive. The mysterious thing called sonic bonding, brought about by the need to cooperate and reciprocate in order to sing together, generates something that even the lab scientists have resorted to calling communitas. I'm hanging on to that idea. And I'm wondering, here in our dwindling communal habitats, whether you are feeling it too, the irrepressible urge to gather and remember the words in the tune, to acknowledge the tiny suppressed embarrassed longing that remains in spite of everything to raise our collective voices both in counterpart and in harmony to see our oldest living cultural practice as a means of survival let's face it we are the primate that dances and sings together we just can't help it it's our evolutionary adaptive trait we rock joy and relief from duress comes pumping up from our chests Our hearts beat faster. We take deeper breaths. Our synaptic pathways light up like mirror balls. We've always done this in our long, fraught evolution. Raising our voices in unison. Singing our joy at a birth or our shared grief at a death. Singing when the sun comes up. Singing to find a mate. Crooning old songs in the car on a long drive home. Remembering the lyrics from somewhere. The feel of the music pouring through us. Picking up the guitar every now and then, rather than the remote. And yes, it's hard not to be swamped with solastalgia and panicked hopelessness at the plight of the Regent Honey Eaters. Yet there are signs that these birds seem to be somehow determinedly holding on. There have been sightings of them in Northeast Victoria, thanks to the long term revegetation work of community volunteers from the Regent Honeyeater Habitat Restoration Project in the Lurg Hills near Benalla. Following the captive breeding and song-learning project in New South Wales, adult breeding pairs have been spotted with new nestlings. And likewise, the irrepressible Astrid Jorgensen is back running sold-out live pub choir events around the country on a new tour called, appropriately enough, Unclench, once again joyously conducting thousands of people in harmonised songs. Music is medicine, Jorgensen wrote on a recent Facebook post. And while I've never been able to score a ticket to sing along at a pub choir event, tickets have been known to sell out in one minute flat, I find that even just watching footage of the faces of these strangers singing together, smiling, moved, absorbed, joyful, making fond and gleeful eye contact with each other, united for a few extraordinary minutes in pure communitas, is medicine enough in March, not long after social distancing requirements were relaxed, I found myself at Theatre Royal in Castlemaine, a building christened the first place of public amusement for the residents of the town north of Melbourne during the gold rush of the 1850s, attending the first live performance I'd been to for a long, long while. Folk musician and storyteller Yarm Wozicki was performing a show encompassing 50 years of Australian music, finally on after being cancelled and rescheduled five times over the course of the pandemic. I just roll with the punches, says Wazitski from the stage, happy to at last be performing in public again with other musicians. As an audience, we aren't so much like freed captive bred honey eaters as battery hens, unsure if we are really, truly allowed out of the cage. Out we step cautiously to sit ourselves in chairs that aren't spaced a metre and a half apart, greeting each other with rusty social civility. It's not like the huge euphoric crowd at the Womad Festival just the week before, which had watched enviously from afar, sweating, dancing and delirious as Baker Boy commanded the stage. There were only sixty of us, accustomed to wearing masks and keeping ourselves on mute. We're a bit subdued, truth be told, a bit out of practice. But when Wozicki pauses before the final chorus of Dougie McLean's singing Land," and extends a casual hand to say, as if the thought has just occurred to him, join us, like he's inviting the audience to pull up a chair. We don't need asking twice, we raise the roof.